So you've decided to give up that old behavior that's been killing you and all you care for and surrender to a power greater than yourself. That's the first step. Surrender is what opens the prison door. Now it's time to walk through that door and into a whole new way of life. Spirituality, self-care, service, social connection, and the simple daily disciplines that pave the way to lasting freedom. This is Positive Sobriety. episode of the Positive Sobriety Podcast. Yes, it's true. We are back, back on the air. Uh, I'm feeling good today, and I'm so happy to see you on the screen here. We're not in the same room, but we are in the same, I don't know, meta space, digital space. What do we call this? I don't know. Uh, the, I don't know, but uh, yeah. the, the, the waves of the of the metaverse or something. <laughs> <laughs> here with my good friend, David Hampton. Yeah. Uh, man, it feels like ages since we got a chance to talk. Uh, yeah. We've both been, there's been interruptions. We've uh, been busy. I had, I had COVID there for a while and then well, and went then you off went, on a jaunt to Italy. Yeah. I was going to say, then you went to a very... Um, uh, unique, uh, version of a conference. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, you know, as most of our listeners know, I'm part of a group called the Samson Society, uh, a mutual aid society for Christian men, uh, which has gone global in the last couple of years since we started online meetings. Mm -hmm. And, uh, the Italian guys actually translated the book, Samson and the Pirate Monks into Italian. And, that started to get uh, a, uh, an organization in place there in Italy. And they invited us to come over to do two retreats on back-to-back weekends. Wow. Uh, so I went, I went with Dr. Tom Mocha, who's the president of Samson House. And I went with a good friend of yours and ours who's been on this show. K.K. Ray came along, the trauma yes. therapist, who, by the way, freaking made the trip. Oh, no doubt. I'm yeah, sure you know. they loved her as much there as they do here. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, they were excited because I was coming because they'd read the book. But man, when they met KK. Yeah. And, and actually, we we paired really well together mm-hmm. uh, and got a great response. We were we were speaking uh, always through translators. Uh, OK. At least half of the audience, you know, couldn't speak. English were, were some people who came from other countries mm-hmm. uh, to attend. Uh, so we got into the, but we had the, uh, the great benefit of a really skilled, highly, you know, passionate, empathetic, uh, mm. translators. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, so at any rate, got a great response, had a great time, uh, ate a lot of great food. Oh man. I, I can only imagine. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's. Well, what out of all the places I've been, I have not been to Italy, and I yeah. have always wanted to to go over there and just uh, eat my way through the country somewhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, we did the first one at a retreat center uh, in the shadow of the Apennine Mountains. Uh, you know, overlooking a rugged you know, peak. It was, it was gorgeous. Mm-hmm. 
But my favorite was the second weekend. And in between those two weekends, I, I spoke, I got a chance to see Florence. I hadn't been to Florence before. I saw Michelangelo's David and oh, you wow. know, that, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, I spoke in churches uh, three, three evenings between the retreats. But that yeah. second retreat was all the way up in the northwestern part of Italy, literally walking distance to France, about three kilometers from France, right, oh, in, man. right in the Italian Alps at the end of a valley uh, where, uh, and this picturesque village where the farmers drive the cows through town morning and evening uh, to move them from one pasture to another. Oh, gosh. <laughs> I mean. Oh, it was storybook. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Just storybook. And the beautiful thing about it was, you know, here is a pretty, uh, at least with the, you know, the, the Christians that we were uh, dealing with, a lot of shame bound folks, a lot of, you know, in a, in a, in a shame bound culture, really mm -hmm. trying to deal with shame based behavior <laughs> with more shame. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, up until that point, you know, their definition of addiction is, you know, addiction is sin. Mm -hmm. Cut and dried, finished, mm -hmm. done. Mm -hmm. Solution to addiction is salvation and repentance. Done. Yeah. Yeah. You know, a solution that I tried for years and years and years that didn't work. And we came mm -hmm. with a different message. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, that, that addiction uh, is sickness, mm -hmm. a result of the brokenness of this world, right? The mm -hmm. sin of this world, ours and really the sin of others, the brokenness of the world. It's a maladaptive response to trauma. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, recovery is healing. That's what it is. It's mm -hmm. a healing process mm -hmm. that is progressive mm -hmm. and that requires the support of, uh, you know, caring, empathetic, gracious, uh, understanding others, you know, yeah. Yeah. You know, a, a grace filled community. Yeah. And we were able to bring that message and we worked in uh, KK and I worked well in tandem. I could open by telling my story to kind of, you know, break the ice. Yeah. Yeah. And I could, and I could give them some scriptural and, you know, biblical basis for understanding addiction in this mm -hmm. way. Mm -hmm. uh, and then KK could just step in and explain, you know, physiologically, neurologically, mm -hmm. how trauma affects the brain. Does, and, yeah. And, and Nate, does, does, do, do concepts like trauma and, um, you know, these kind of things that we, that we talk about a lot with respect yeah, to, yeah. you know, addiction and compulsivity and all that, yeah. do those culturally translate, uh, in the same way, uh, as we understand them to, to be? I, I, I think so. I think we successfully communicated it, but it was almost a foreign concept. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It was a new concept mm -hmm. um, to actually think about, you know, so one of the things we did was we had guys do a tr their own personal trauma tri timeline. Mm -hmm. We had them talking with each other. And then KK interacted with the men in, uh, and by the way, we asked, we had a separate retreat for women, a story retreat for women. Oh, great. Uh, so it was the wives and girlfriends of Samson guys. Um, it was, I think, 
uh, I know it was, it was a radical paradigm shift mm-hmm. for most of the men who attended. And it was, it was liberating. It was, and it was so fun to just deliver that news. It's great to do that. Oh yeah. Oh you know yeah. What I mean? Yeah. You see people just kind of light up and blossom and, you know, to, to see them reach their own epiphanies. Yeah. 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 To have something that may have never even been considered, you yeah, know, right, to right. offer them is it's just an amazing opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. So it was a joy. As you can tell, I'm still fired up about it. Oh, I, why not? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They've invited yeah. us back. Uh, KK says she's ready to go. Uh, I think she, you know, both of us have, you know, we can't go back right away. It's going to take some recovery time, but it, yeah. was, a, it was a wonderful experience. Well, man, that's, that's awesome. That's awesome. All right. Well, uh, you have uh, secured for us a great guest for this week's show. Yes, I am excited. This guy is uh, making the rounds on the podcast, the big podcasts. Right, and, yeah. Uh, we were able to uh, snag him, and he's just absolutely uh, the most – uh, gracious and generous guy with his story. And, uh, mm-hmm. I, I know people are going to really want to, want to, uh, sit down and, and really take a minute and, and take this in. Yeah. Okay. Well, with that as an introduction, buckle up. We'll be right back on the positive sobriety podcast. Welcome back to the Positive Sobriety Podcast. Holy smokes, do we have a guest this week. Yes, we do. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Those of you who are devotees of Tim Ferriss, inveterate listeners to his uh, top-rated podcast, may have already heard our guest. Uh, he's the author of a fantastic book. Uh, David, why don't you go ahead and introduce uh, Jason to us? Yeah, listeners. this is Jason Portnoy. Jason is coming to us from the West Coast. Um and uh, he is the author of a book called Silicon Valley Porn Star, which that alone will <laughs> make you pick up and at least read the back of it and go, you know, what, what am I, what am I getting into here? Uh, <laughs> and, and we'll talk about, you know, the origins of the name and the title. It actually comes from a really um, interesting encounter that he's had in his, uh, as part of his recovery. But um, Jason's got a great story of, uh, success in the, you know, the, the part being part of the pre PayPal, uh, PayPal, uh, uh, big the PayPal mafia, mafia and, uh, <laughs> you know, and, and, and those are his, uh, his peeps and his, uh, origins, but he's also got a great story of, um, you know, like all of us, how I got here with, you know, growing up uh, feeling like he is taking some emotional responsibility for a lot of people's feelings and the things that are happening in his home that um, as a kid, none of us have categories for. And I'm not going to try to tell your story, uh, Jason, but welcome to the podcast. And I'm so glad that we were able to uh, make this work. So thank you. Well, thank you. Thank you guys for having me. I'm excited to, to be here. Well, well, Jason, the one thing we know, David and I, as, you know, recovering, recovered addicts ourselves, you know, with a history of that kind of crazy compulsive behavior, is that uh, it never starts, it doesn't start when we think it starts, when the behavior itself begins. Mm. The roots go deeper. It begins earlier. 
mm-hmm. what we get into is a, is a solution, not the problem. So I wonder if you could take some time and just kind of rewind for us and uh, give us a, a look into your childhood. Uh, how did the stage get set for you? Sure. So, and I, I agree 100% that, you know, this is, this is where it starts. Yeah. And I think we're all starting to understand this a lot more than we used to. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but in my case, I, my parents got divorced when I was very young, five mm-hmm. or six years old, and my father moved away. Uh-huh. And that was something that really affected me. I didn't understand how much it affected me until I was somewhere in my mid thirties mm-hmm. and having mm-hmm. a, a coaching session with a life coach. And yeah, I was surprised as she was mm-hmm. when we kind of stumbled into this pain that mm-hmm. I had been carrying for, you know, at that point, like 30 years. So not only does it start then, but it's fascinating how we, we kind of lock it away. Yeah. And we don't even know it's there. So that was, that was yeah. interesting. So that yeah. was kind of one of the first things. Um, my mother, when I was young, also struggled with a lot of depression. And, you know, the experiences I had there ranged from her being gone for long periods at hospitals or her being home but heavily medicated on depression medications that kind of she was kind of like a zombie you know walking around there but not totally there certainly not emotionally available and um all the way to at times her threatening to commit suicide and which is a very traumatic experience for a child. And yeah, those were, I think those were, there are probably some other things and maybe there's even things that I still haven't uncovered uh-huh. yeah, yeah, because yeah, yeah. sometimes these, like I said earlier, these things get buried and we, we lock away the key. That's yeah. our survival mechanism when sure. we're kids. Uh-huh. Sure. 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 Yeah. yeah. And Yeah. Yeah, you know, what I'm hearing in this part of the story is, first of all, kind of an absence of uh, attuned attention. You know, Kurt Thompson says, all of us come into this world looking for someone looking for us. And we find ourselves reflected in the face of others. So we need this emotional engagement with an adult caregiver. And dad disappears and mom isn't capable of doing it, which leaves this, uh, it's got to leave this a lot of unresolved questions about who am I? And yes, that's right. right. Yes. And I, and I had, I did have a stepfather that came into the picture at one point, but he, he had a lot of issues with anger. And I talk Uh, about this in the book and I was actually quite afraid of him when I was little. Yeah. And Uh so that, that didn't really help matters either. Yeah. Yeah. Did you have any siblings? I had an older sister. She was five years older, but once she got into her teenage years, um, she kind of disappeared into her social group. Yeah, yeah. And once she got a driver's license, she completely disappeared into her yeah, social yeah, group. Yeah. You know, she, she just, you know, she was living under the same experiences that I was, was having. And once she could get out, she kind of did. Uh-huh. And Jason, you were, you know, speaking about maybe living with some rage uh, in your home. And mm-hmm. we know that kids that grow up in homes of rage are take on the same traits uh, typically as 
adult children of alcoholics or, you know, mm-hmm. the, 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 the adult children, ACAs. And, um, and so you're taking a lot of responsibility for people's emotions, a lot of responsibility for people's feelings. And, mm-hmm. um, when we discover whatever our medicator is, whatever our escape hatch turns out to be, or that thing we mm-hmm. say, this is going to be the way you know, God meant for me to feel the rest of my life kind of uh-huh. moment feeling, you know, um, then, then we, th- th- you know, it's an understandable go-to, whether it's, you know, a kid with alcohol or chronic masturbation or porn or, you know, whatever the escape is. When did yep. you discover your, um, your escape hatch emotionally? Yeah, such a great question. And, and I often say that if I were to go back to college now, I would want to study psychology and I would want to study why was my escape hatch porn and masturbation and sex? Why was someone else's escape hatch gambling or drugs or alcohol? I think it's fascinating because at the end of the day, they all kind of point back to the same roots. Uh Uh That's why all the 12 step programs are based on the same 12 steps. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I, you know, f- again, for me, my escape hatch, my numbing device, my distraction, whatever you want to call it, turned out to be porn and masturbation and sex. And I feel like I didn't really start heading down that road until sometime in college. I got my first laptop with an internet connection and discovered porn. And I was kind of hooked pretty much. I mean, I didn't realize it, of course, at the time, but looking back, you know, it became a habit pretty quickly. Um, and I don't know exactly what it was about that time or that moment in my life. Um, but yeah, I think that's where that's where that started. Let, let me ask you this, um, Jason. You know, when we talk about your childhood, I hear this recurrent theme of of abandonment, disappearing people. Dad disappears, mom appears and disappears, and and even when she's there, is not fully engaged. Older sister's right. there for a while, then she's gone. Right. Um, I don't know what your college experience was, but when I look back at my college experience, those were four of the loneliest years of my life. Mm. Uh, and I'll tell you what, I dug in deep to porn and masturbation during those years just to survive emotionally. Was, was college, yeah. was it a real collegial, you know, connecting time for you or was it more a lonely time those four years? You know, it was, it was more the latter, I would say the more, mm-hmm. more of a lonely time. I don't know. Yeah. However, I met a girl Mm-hmm. who later is, you know, who's still my wife today. Yeah, um, yeah. But we met my freshman year of college Yeah, and got into a very serious relationship pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. And it might've been in one of the periods during college where we were separated because mm-hmm. we, you know, we kind of did the typical on again, off again thing when we were yeah, young. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, you know, that it's funny, I never really thought about it that way, but it probably was during one of those periods mm-hmm. where I was probably feeling lonely mm-hmm. um, because we were, you know, we were off in yeah. that moment. Yeah. 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 
And and your story. But you know, there's an, no, there's another ahead. interesting thing about this though, and I, stop me if I go too far ahead. <laughs> but no, right. what, what's what's fascinating to me about this as well is that, as you said, I had to take on a lot of responsibility for other people's feelings and emotions. I felt like I had to take on a lot of responsibility for myself to kind of, you know, it felt like my external environment was kind of unpredictable. Mm-hmm. You know, my mom's health was very unpredictable. Um, I didn't, you know, my, my stepfather's emotions were pretty unpredictable. And so I had to create a lot of predictability mm. in my world. And, mm. and I think another term we would use for that would be control. Yeah. Like I had to start creating control in my world. And what, what's so fascinating to me is that that behavior is, I think, part of what enabled me to be very successful. Sure. Once I went off to college, yeah. you know, I was really responsible. I got really good grades. I, and, and no amount of success or praise would be enough, right? Because right. I was trying right. to... F- and so, and then I went off to graduate school and did well. And then I got my first job, um, as David mentioned earlier, at PayPal. And I ascended there and I did very well there. Mm-hmm. And again, I was being driven... I uh, kind of ironically, I was being driven by this stuff that had happened in my yeah. childhood. Yeah, yeah. I didn't know that, and the outside world was giving me all kinds of positive feedback. Yeah, sure. Oh, you're right. doing yeah. great. Here's yeah. a promotion. Here's yeah. more money. Yeah, you know. Yeah. And so, and then it just feeds on it. And sometimes I wonder, like, how many of us get stuck there, where we're kind of like overachieving. Um, we're getting all these positive rewards from society for that overachieving behavior, but at its core, that overachieving is trying to compensate for some kind of lack or pain that we're feeling and we're trying to cover up. John Bradshaw talks a lot about this in healing the shame that binds you. Mm -hmm. I love that book. Oh Um, yeah. I I have a friend who survived a very chaotic childhood in poverty and um, abuse and um, trauma and just, you know, all, all the stuff that goes with all that. And he said that he adopted a motto early in his life. He can remember when and and how, and he said he realized uh, in his early teens, he said, I told, I started telling myself if it is to be, it is up to me. And he said Mm. that motto that became like a mantra, you know, and he, you know, worked and put himself through college and two master's degrees and started a successful corporate business that, you know, blah, 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 and, and, and was very, very successful. But what he found was that he was so hyper vigilant about mm. controlling, managing um, uh, anything and everything around him from relationships to, you know, his business, certainly, but um, but he said that he had he had no idea until therapy that 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 if it is to be it is up to me mantra was actually driving people away out of his life mm, you know mm, Cre- sure creating, yeah because that yeah creating separation right when yeah. when what he really wanted was connection exactly yeah 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 yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's well, Jason. Yeah. You start out the book with a pretty intriguing story. I mean, you mm-hmm. kind of just drop the needle right into the middle of the action um, <laughs> from the from that first yes uh, opening uh, part of your book. Um, do you want to talk about that? Sure. I mean, I feel like I got that device 
just from reading other books and watching movies. Right. right? Sure. I felt um, like I was watching something that I started in and thought, oh, you know, shit, I've got to, I've got to finish this movie so it can take me where it is. And I do plan to finish yeah. this book, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I kind of, I felt like, you know, nobody knows me, nobody knows my story. Um, so I kind of, I, I need to grab their attention early. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I dropped them into the scene that in my life turned out to be the beginning of the end mm-hmm. of this addiction that I was in. And I titled that the wake up call. And it literally starts with my phone ringing early in the morning. And it's a woman who says she's the mother of a young woman that I had been out with the night before, uh, saying that her daughter had not come home. And it kind of terrified me. I did, you know, who is this woman? How did she get my phone number? Uh What happened to the young woman I was with? the night before, et cetera, et cetera. And then she was kind of threatening to come after me. Uh-huh. And that was very scary. And, uh, and so, you know, other things happened. And then I felt like I need to tell my wife about this uh-huh. because she's going, I think she's going to find out and I want to be the one that tells her. And that's when I kind of, that's kind of the moment when I got caught. And I had to start getting honest that not only had I been cheating on her for a very long time, Uh um, but I was out of control. You know, I had to be honest with her Uh about what I was doing, but I had to be honest with myself Uh that I was completely out of control. Uh I couldn't stop. And I was taking more and more risk Uh professionally, personally, just all of it. Yeah. And um yeah. Every person engaged in the fight against alcohol addiction has their own reason for being involved. Maybe it's a husband or wife, a daughter or son, a mom or a dad, a best friend, a colleague, a job, a hobby, or just yourself. Whatever your reason for recovery, We're all in this together. On the Positive Sobriety Podcast, we understand that the opposite of addiction is connection. And our mission includes building a strong community and working together to break the stigma of alcohol addiction. That's why we've partnered with Soberlink to expand and strengthen our community even further. Soberlink is a remote alcohol monitoring technology created to help provide accountability for people in recovery. The system includes a high-tech breathalyzer device with facial recognition that allows you to share your sobriety in real time with loved ones who can offer support in the event of a slip or a relapse. Soberlink has helped hundreds of thousands of people document proof of sobriety in real time to help rebuild trust and foster peace of mind. Soberlink is currently building a strong community of people in recovery. Get inspired and inspire others today by joining the community at soberlink.com slash PSP. 
That PSP, of course, stands for Positive Sobriety Podcast. The link again is soberlink.com slash PSP. Isn't it ironic that those of us who deal with the unpredictability and uncertainty of a chaotic childhood by learning to exert control, then find ourselves, I, I don't know, but I'm a recovering sex addict, by the way. Uh, so, so I've got this bifurcated life. On one side, I'm this very controlled, very reliable, predictable person, and I'm hitting the marks and I'm doing the thing. And then the other, and then I've got this other side of me that is completely out of control. Out of control. And I okay. Look at that stuff and I go, "What the hell?" Okay. You know? Okay. So I, I have a theory on this. Okay. Um, you know, it's kind of two parts. W- one part is that the universe is always trying to create balance. Uh-huh. Yes. Every everything in the universe is in balance. Everything in nature is in balance. Everything in like nature, and 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 therefore we strive for balance. And so if there is a part of you, a side of you that is tightly gripping the steering wheel of life, total control, you can't do that indefinitely. You need to have moments where you let go of the wheel completely. So like that's in order to be in balance, you have to swing from one polar to the other. If, if you're in one polar. Uh And so for me, you know, I was so in control of everything, um, and He's taking gone. on, and taking on so much responsibility. And then at night when I opened my laptop okay. and I went into the world of pornography, I could just abandon all responsibility. Uh-huh. I didn't have to answer to anybody. Uh-huh. I could do, I was, I could do whatever I wanted. If I was hooking up with, with someone in the real life, I could be whatever I wanted to be, uh-huh. you know, I had, I had no responsibility in those moments. And so that was me trying to find balance. Yeah. Wow. I like that theory too. Yeah. I, I yeah. like that yeah. a lot. I, but do you ever think, um, Jason, that, that it could also have anything to do with the fact that chaos was such a part of your early normative, uh, your perception of normal as a kid that, uh, that we recreate that in some way to feel a little bit of normalcy as well. Yes. Um, and in one of my coaching sessions, I remember this vividly with my life coach and she had me repeating this mantra. I like the drama Uh Uh because I, I was addicted to the drama. Uh My life had been dramatic Uh and I was creating a lot of drama in my life uh-huh. as yeah. an adult. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, but, you know, and it's, it's hard, David, like sometimes I struggle to understand how all of these things fit together because they all seem so different uh-huh. because we're so far, we're talking about emotional stuff. We're talking about traumas. We haven't touched at all on spirituality. Yeah. And how that factors into the addiction and the recovery. Uh-huh. And so that's a whole nother layer. And somehow I feel like these things all exist at the same time. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Right. Spiritual deficit. Yeah. 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 And, and so I do think I was kind of addicted to the drama because 
by being enrolled in the drama, creating the drama, and then being identified with the drama, I didn't have to just be present. Yeah. I didn't have to just be yeah. me. Yeah. I didn't have to be still because when you're still and you're present, you start to feel mm -hmm. everything. Mm -hmm. And if you're not ready for those feelings and that vibrancy, then you do whatever you can do to stay away from that. Yeah. yeah. Well, wow. you made a comment on the uh, on the Tim Ferriss uh, episode that I heard, Jason, that I want you to speak to. This isn't really a rabbit trail because I want to get back to the spiritual part for sure. I, this is just a little aside. Um, yeah. I, if I understood you correctly, you said that, you know, you had done therapy and coaching and all of that. And you said, if uh, please correct me, um, you thought coaching actually helped you more than the actual uh, traditional therapy or what we would consider, you know, psychotherapy um, to have to have been. Did I did I get that right? Yeah, that is right. I, I don't remember how I said it on in yeah. the conversation with yeah. Tim, but well, it encouraged I do feel me in it, general. Yeah, yeah, it encouraged me because as a recovery coach, and I've had you know some training. It's not like we just came out of this you know one day and woke up and hung a shingle. Um, sometimes I think coaches feel a little um, like the the stepkids at the Thanksgiving table or something in the yeah. therapy behavioral health yes. world. We can be, yes. and maybe it's our own insecurity or it's individual, and I'm not trying to speak for everybody at all, but I can experience at times, uh, because I don't have the same initials after my name that other people do, but yet people come to me because of my experience, first of all, in, in my own areas, but, um, um, it, it, that your, your, your comment validated me, I guess is the long way I'm going about sure. saying that. So thank you. <laughs> thank you for well, no, giving a no little problem. on the back to some, some coaching. <laughs> yeah. I mean, look, I tried working with therapists early on mm -hmm. and, I, I had worked with therapists, several different therapists over the course of about six months uh -huh. and, and one for an extended time during that time. And then I had a second therapist. It was like a joint therapist with my wife. Uh -huh. Um, and then she had her own therapist. We had three therapists in the mix at one point. Yeah. And then, and then I got introduced to this life coach and I went and I met with her and I got more out of one hour than I had gotten out of six months of my you know, uh -huh. traditional therapy. Uh -huh. And I don't, I think that traditional therapy certainly has a place sure, and can be very valuable. And there's a lot of work that can be done there. Uh -huh. In my own experience though, the life coach, I felt like she wasn't shackled to tra like traditional clinical definitions uh -huh. and traditional clinical, um, you know, uh, mo modalities. I, I can't think yeah. of the right word. Yeah. Um, but like in a clinical context, you like, you make a diagnosis and then there's like a set prescription or curriculum for how you deal with that diagnosis. And I felt like with her, we just went wherever she, she didn't have any of those limitations. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Sometimes it was journal, meditate, listen to this guided meditation, um, watch this video on YouTube, read this book, um, stuff like that. It was just kind of, and she, she also did a lot, um, you know, 
she had coached a lot of people with issues around infidelity and relationships and stuff like that. And so I think had a lot of experience there. Sometimes that experience is the most valuable thing. So Uh I think for you, Uh you know, having that first person experience is invaluable to someone that you'd be helping. Uh Well, it does give you a little bit of credibility that you have been there and are, and have done what you're asking them to do, I think. Yeah, but I didn't want to, I didn't want to make all that about that, but I did want to give you the opportunity to validate us on my program. (laughs) Yeah, there you go. (laughs) Happy to help. (laughs) Uh, Let me ask you this, uh, coming off your, I I was very, I was mesmerized by your story of, uh, you know, when the shit hit the fan. Uh I remember D-Day myself, Mm. Uh, you know, the terror, the dread, the shame, but at the same time, the relief, the massive freaking relief. Yes. That it was finally out. Yes. Look back on it today, and, and in some ways, it's like the best day of my life. Yes. At the same time, it was perhaps the worst day of my wife's life. Mm-hmm. When, uh, you know, I stepped into the light, and then her illusions and, and a, a lot of that was shattered. It mm-hmm. was, uh, and so we had a couple of tough years. Mm-hmm. In early recovery, as 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 by the way, and I do want to get to spirituality. I grew up in a very religious home. I actually was a religious professional for for a while. Was a pastor. I had you know I had a master's degree in God. Uh, <laughs> right, amazing. What precious little precious little real spirituality. Isn't that so interesting? We, her and yeah. I, my wife and I talk a lot about the difference between religion and spirituality. Right. Yeah. Because I was raised in a Catholic household. Yeah. My mom's very religious, mm-hmm. but I, there was very little spirituality yeah. in our home. Yeah. What I've learned is if you can if if you can pair spirituality with healthy religion, now I mean you've really got something. Sure. Yeah. But um, so yeah, how how was that experience for you and your wife? Oh, so difficult. Yeah, early I mean, so, so difficult. Um, you know, I had been cheating on her for a decade, probably. Yeah. You know, and it was, it was just devastating. And, yeah. and, and by the way, like we glossed over some details just in the interest of time, but yeah, there had been a moment several years prior to my D day mm-hmm. where we had separated Mm-hmm. And ha- spent, ha- you know, while married, after our first daughter was born, our mm-hmm. daughter was born, and we had separated and come back together. And through all of that, I hadn't shared anything that I had done. And so here we had felt like we were starting fresh, everything yeah. was open and honest, et cetera, et cetera. And then several years later, for her to realize yeah. that I had just lied. I mean, yeah. she just didn't even know who I was. Yeah. And, yeah. um, it was very difficult. I think one of the things that helped us a lot during that time, there we we were both working with the same life coach, and one of the our life coach's signature uh, messages for everyone is that we create everything that's happening to us in our life. We might not be doing it consciously. In fact, usually we're not doing it consciously. It's very subconscious. 
but somehow we're creating the circumstances of our life and her job is to help us understand why we're doing that and how to resolve it and so her message for my wife was was the same you know her message you know to me she was very compassionate like she felt like man you've been sick for a long time and now this once you start revealing your secrets you'll finally get well and she was kind of excited frankly um that i would start getting well now um and the message for my wife was you know Anne marie as painful as this is you have somehow created this for yourself in your life you have elected to co-create with this man for there's got to be a reason there's got to be something you were getting out of this and that was obviously very hard for Anne-Marie to hear but we had been working with the life coach for long enough to really trust her with Mm -hmm. these things Mm -hmm. and she recommended a book to us called women who love too much Mm -hmm. i don't know if you've ever heard of this Mm -hmm. book yeah yep and and we both read it and it talks about lots of different things but one of the core things i remember was how women who grow up in households with an addict would tend to be attracted to an another partner male or female who has those tendencies or who is somehow emotionally distant Mm -hmm. because to david's point earlier what she was used to from her child so her dad um was has uh, struggled with a uh, drug and alcohol addiction when all through her youth. Uh, mm-hmm. And so what she was used to in a relationship was, you know, unpredictability, emotional distance, all of those things. And so she was attracted to a guy who had those qualities. Mm-hmm. It would have been uncomfortable for her to be with someone who was very emotionally present. It would yeah, have been right. like too vibrant for her to to handle. Yeah, right. And so in some ways she kind of benefited from being with a guy who yeah. was an addict. Mm. And uh that that was a really eye-opening moment. And um and so, but it, it still took some years. You yeah. know, it took several years to really rebuild that trust mm-hmm. and to really almost get to know each other again mm-hmm. after going through what we went through. Um, but also, you know, another thing that helped in that stage of the recovery in the relationship was understanding that we are two souls who are on this earth to learn things mm-hmm. and to grow and to expand in consciousness. And we're in relationship together because somehow we're supposed to help each other grow Mm -hmm. and expand in consciousness. And so instead of when you approach it from that perspective, um, it's, it's less personal, right? And you, you don't get your ego doesn't get quite as involved in, in the drama and you say, okay, well, here's some lessons and now we've learned them and how do we move forward? And yeah, it's, it's been beautiful. Mm-hmm. Jason, what are some of the principles spiritually that you feel like um, are some takeaways that that changed the way you view yourself and um, your relationship to 
your higher power, whatever, however you define that and, and how that plays into your, um, your ability now to manage life differently. Right. Well, first it was just an acknowledgement that there was some kind of higher power out there Mm -hmm. that I was a small part of a big universe. Mm -hmm. Um, and that, everything in that universe is connected and exchanges energy in nonverbal ways, right? Mm-hmm. This was like really, uh, this was totally mind blowing to me when I was first mm-hmm. learning these things. Now yeah, it yeah, seems, yeah. it's, it seems more obvious, but, um, so yeah, acknowledging first of all that I was a small part of a big thing. And once you do that, uh, at least in my case, it was like, well, I have to be mindful of how my actions affect others. Mm-hmm. Um, I have to be mindful about like energy and how do I feel when mm-hmm. I'm doing certain things? How do I feel? So it's, mm-hmm. it's not just that the world communicates to me with words. Yeah. The yeah. world communicates with me through feelings and emotions mm-hmm. that are to helping me tune in to things and living like that, um, more in my heart, less in my head, yeah. uh, was really helpful. And today, part of what that looks like is number one, taking deep levels of personal responsibility for Mm -hmm. things that are happening. Um, and, but at the same time saying if something is happening, there's a reason it's happening Mm -hmm. and I might not understand what that reason is. Or even if I'm feeling something, there's a reason I'm feeling it. I might not understand what that feeling is Mm -hmm. and where it's coming from, but that doesn't mean it's not real. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and so th- I feel like all of those things are ways of me tuning into the spiritual side of myself mm-hmm. as opposed to just my brain, mm-hmm. right? I'm not trying to think my way through how yeah. to solve every problem. Not trying to intellectualize your experiences as much, maybe. That's that's exactly right. And and this has been interesting because my work as a venture, ca- I'm a venture capitalist. So <laughs> I invest in people's companies. And once I started going through this transformation, I remember very distinctly having a conversation with a CEO of a company who was raising money and saying, I'm not going to invest in your company. I don't know exactly why. Yeah. But yeah. but at I can't give you like an intellectual argument because all Mm -hmm. the facts seem to be there and seem to line up, but I'm just not feeling it. And, Mm -hmm. uh, it took me a long time. It was kind of a weird, he was looking at me like, what are you talking about? (laughs) (laughs) Um, but you know, I, I listened to that other side of myself and I learned how to do that more. And it made me a lot more successful in my professional work, Mm -hmm. not just as an investor, but in, in boardrooms, yeah. right? Kind of picking up on nonverbal communication. Yes. Um, all of those things. And I, I like to just sprinkle that in because I feel like a lot of times people make a separation and say, hey, we're talking a lot about your personal life. Mm-hmm. And, you know, <laughs> how does that affect my business life? Mm-hmm. And I say, no, no, no. It's all connected. 
Yeah. It's all one thing. Yeah. And if you resolve the core, you're going to be better at everything. Uh You're going to be better at work. You're going to be a better spouse, a better parent. Yeah. Just better everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, I, 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 go ahead, Dave. No, no, no. Go ahead. No, no. I you, you went ahead and answered a question I was dying to ask you was how did this uh, impact uh, uh, how you behave as a parent, how you interact? Oh, parent. yeah. Yeah. And how you see it. It's amazing to me as I become more understanding and empathetic toward my own inner child. I'm now a grandfather and I got grandkids living in my house because my daughter's had a flood in hers. And uh, that's fun. Yeah. I mean, not the flood, but having the grandkids. Yeah. The grandkids are here. Yeah. And and, uh, I'm a hell of a lot different than my grandfathers were to me. And a lot different than I was as a father. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And it has a lot to do with being on good terms with my own inner child. Would you say that's that's the same for you? Oh, 100%. Um, I, this has radically changed the way that I parent. Yeah. And, you know, some of it is, you know, I'm a small part of a big universe. My soul is here to learn lessons. Well, that mm-hmm. extends to my kids. Like yeah. they are individual souls. They are here mm-hmm. to learn lessons. Mm-hmm. And my responsibility is to help them in that quest You know, what are the lessons that they need to learn? How can we help them learn that lessons? I feel like my responsibility is to be in service to them. Yeah. 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 You know, it's yes. I'm here to be in service to them and I'm not here to tell them what to do. Maybe I'm here to like give them information and share my experience and knowledge and hope Mm -hmm. that, you know, they're, but yeah, parenting I'm listening to this book right now, actually, called The Myth of Normal by Gabor Mate. Oh, yeah. And it's it's really interesting. And he's talking right now a lot about parenting mm. and how our understanding of, of what children need is changing over time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, before we get away, Jason, you got to explain the title of the book. Uh, I want you to tell oh, sure. <laughs> just because, you know, I think it's, yeah, sure. I mean, I think it's great, but, uh, but I would love for you to explain that for folks. Well, so I, the title again is Silicon Valley porn star. Uh, the full title is a Silicon Valley, Silicon Valley porn star, a memoir of redemption and rediscovering the self. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I do feel like I have to tell people these days, there's nothing pornographic in the book. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. Um, I was not a porn actor. Uh-huh. Yeah. That's yeah. also the, uh, the second, the second question uh-huh. I always get. Um, the title comes from, I was working with a life coach and about a year before I got caught, before that incident that opens up the book where I got caught, um, I had finally admitted that I was looking at pornography more than I wanted to. And I wanted to stop Mm -hmm. and I tried to kind of stop, but really couldn't, you know, Mm -hmm. I'd go a couple of days, but I'd always get pulled back in Mm -hmm. or go back to it. And so I'm admitting this to her. I'm very embarrassed. Mm -hmm. I haven't admitted this to anyone. My wife doesn't know. Mm -hmm. know, Nobody knows. I haven't talked to my friends about this, nothing. Mm -hmm. So, um, it's very tender and I'm, I'm very scared and embarrassed about it. And she 
kind of makes light of it. Like, oh, porn? Oh, okay. Well, we, we can talk about that. No problem. And her levity around it made me start sharing more. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so, and she continued with that. And one day we get on the phone and she liked to do this thing where you would take parts of yourself and yeah. give them a little identity. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you could work with that part of yourself mm-hmm. and, and it not feel so personal, mm-hmm. you know? Right. Sure. And, and so, uh, one day we get on the phone and she says, so how's porn star this week? Oh. And it was really funny. Uh-huh. Yeah. And, and porn star became the nickname for this identity of mine mm-hmm. that was kind of stuck in this porn sex in creation cycle. Yeah. 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 And so then naturally my career was in Silicon Valley. I, I worked with some very amazing people who've gone on to build incredible creations. Mm -hmm. And, um, so that's a big part of my, my life and my identity. And frankly, when I was struggling with my addiction, I was still very much in that world. Yeah. Yeah. And so matching those two things up, Silicon Valley porn star just yeah. seemed like a good name. Yeah. Well, yeah. how have your colleagues and business uh, uh, interactions uh, do they do they overlap? How have people received your um, your message? Well, do they um, have you had any interesting interactions based on the book? Given what you do, you know, everyone has been very supportive and mm-hmm. enthusiastic, mm-hmm. and people I get. Um, it's, it's a quick read. So Mm -hmm. a lot of people say like, I I couldn't put it down Mm -hmm. Um, and it it goes, it goes pretty fast and there's a lot in there that maybe they didn't know Mm -hmm. about. Mm -hmm. Certainly there's a lot in there that they didn't know about. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. so, you know, so I've had some things like, wow, I had no idea that all of this was going on. I mean, Mm -hmm. I got that same response from my, my parents, Mm -hmm. my wife's parents. Yeah. I mean, but it's a very inspiring story. Mm-hmm. And even though it is a story about, you know, a guy struggling with a porn and sex addiction, I think it's actually like, those are the specifics, mm-hmm. yeah. but it's really a very universal story. Yeah, sure. sure it is. Yeah. Of someone, you know, numbing or medicating some childhood traumas and, and finding themselves you know, waking up one day and saying, wait a minute, how did I get here? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Like, how did this happen? And then starting the process of redefining who they are, mm-hmm. all that fear, mm-hmm. Nathan, that you talked about, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. with your D-Day, like, yeah, that's very scary because your entire worldview is shattering in that moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Everything you thought made sense up until that moment doesn't make sense anymore. And that's very scary. Yeah. It's very disorienting. And so you watch this character go through that yeah. and start to climb out the other side. So yeah, it's a, it's a good, I think it's a good story. Well, yeah. I am so glad that you have been liberated enough from shame to step out into the light and tell the story. Oh, thanks. Thank uh, you. Uh, because I don't know about you. I was I was stunned to discover when I began to talk out loud about my story, to find out that I was n- far from unique, mm-hmm. and and my willingness 
finally to tell my story made it possible for others to begin to face theirs and, and in some cases tell theirs. So I love I know, that. I have got to believe I, I'm absolutely certain that you have given the same gift to humanity and that uh, people are responding in the same way. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you for saying that. I say that at the end of the book that part of the the journey was an understanding that my response, our responsibility is to be yeah. in service to each other. Yeah. Yeah. And writing this book is my first significant act of service. Wow. Yeah. That's, you, that's how I see it. You mentioned yeah. earlier when we talked, I think the other day, uh, leading up to today, uh, that you considered uh, the book as part of your 12th step. Uh, so to speak, yes. you know, mm-hmm. if, if, yeah. we were, if we were putting mm-hmm. it in step language, um, you yeah. know, that the doing, sure. doing these podcasts and writing the book and, um, you know, talking about this and making it, um, something that gives people an opportunity to say me too, is, uh, part of that 12th step experience that you have. Yeah. And yeah, I didn't even realize that until after the book had come out. Mm-hmm. And I was talking with someone just a few months ago and they said, wow, this really feels like a, 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 a version of a 12th step. And I was like, mm-hmm. oh my gosh, I didn't even think about that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And, but yeah, 100%, that's, that's what this is. Yeah. And I hope that, you know, this character in the book goes through a lot of shame mm-hmm. and a lot of judgment, self-judgment, mm-hmm. a lot of embarrassment. And I do hope that by talking about it more openly, no matter what someone's challenge is, they can approach it with a little less judgment, a little less shame. Mm. And to Nathan, to your point, because if you start judging yourself less and Mm -hmm. feeling less ashamed of yourself, you naturally start to empathize more with the people around you. Absolutely, yeah. And you judge everyone less. And you, ha- you know, shame everyone less. And I feel like that would be a good thing in yeah. our culture. Well, well, listeners, we've been talking to Jason Portnoy. The, the book is Silicon Valley, a porn star. Uh, go out and buy it today. Uh, <laughs> Jason, yeah. thank you so much. Thank you so much for taking time with us. Oh, Absolutely. Uh, yeah. you, uh, you have, uh, you've been of service today. Thank you very much. It's my pleasure. And and thank you guys for the service you're providing with your show. Uh, thank you. Thank you, Jason. Okay, listeners, stay with us. We'll be back in just a moment on the Positive Sobriety Podcast. Welcome back to the Positive Sobriety Podcast. And Nate, um, I'm as excited about this episode as I've been in a long time. Yeah, um, me too. um, You know, Jason uh, said some really important things, but I love the fact that um, that he has uh, he has encapsulated this this whole experience that he has in a way that uh, I feel like his message is very accessible. Mm-hmm. You know, and he's not talking theoretically. He's not talking in a third person. It's the power of story mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. it's the winsomeness of vulnerability. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. And I, I love know. the fact that I love the fact that he loves coaches. <laughs> 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 I can't I can't say that enough. But no, that, uh, seriously, I really 
I really appreciated that that he's had a lot of different um, modalities and that coaching was so helpful to him. Yeah. And uh, so that it's well, you know, he's you know, he's a very busy guy, got a lot going on. And typically Mm -hmm. toward the end of a end of an interview, I'll ask the question or you will ask the question. Hey, well, how can our listeners get in touch with you? Right. I didn't ask that question because I'm sure the guy is just so damn busy. Yeah. But it, but interestingly, you know, as soon as we wrapped, he said, you know, I love hearing from people. I love interacting with people. Uh, make sure to let people know how they can get in touch with me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's a guy who is truly of service. So mm-hmm. if you would like to uh, find out more about Jason, uh, interact with him at all, he has a website, jasonportnoy.com. And uh, he would love to hear from you. Yeah. And he will uh, absolutely re- uh, respond and interact. I'm, I'm confident. Well, you had, uh, was this something we don't often do with guests, but you had extended conversations with him prior to the show. Yeah. It was really interesting because he said, would you mind just doing a quick FaceTime uh, yeah. with me? Uh, because he said, I'm new to this podcasting thing. And I like to kind of have an idea of where the people are coming from that I'm going to be talking to. What does the show serve to be so that I'm not going off on some, you know, unnecessary, unrelatable tangent to your audience. And, um, you know, I thought that was really considerate of him to want to take the time uh, to know what we were about uh, before he jumped in here and just assumed that, uh, you know, he knew exactly where to. Uh, aim his guns. And so yeah, yeah. Uh, I was real happy to talk to him. And um, it was, a, we had a great time just on, I wish we could have recorded our, <laughs> our pre-interview conversation. That would have been a great, a great lead in. So uh, yeah, there's a guy clearly who has his ego in check and he's reset and uh, a, a, a real encouragement and inspiration to me. And of yeah. course I always like to meet another sex addicts in, in recovery. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we've got to book a few more of those on the show, David. I know, I know. These substance use people are just dominating the... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. And uh, hey, listeners, we like to hear from you too. Right. Uh, and so, you know, uh, you can always reach us at positive sobriety podcast at gmail.com. Any reactions you have to this episode, any suggestions you have for other topics or other guests... Please take a few minutes and drop us a line once again at positive sobriety podcast at gmail.com. Well, uh, it's been a great uh, show this week. So glad we're back on uh, back on track and back in rhythm. Yeah. Uh, and we've got, I see you've been booking guests. We've got a, a great lineup on down the road. Yeah, we do. Uh, okay. Well then until next time. I'm Nate. And I'm David. And we are your pals on the Positive Sobriety Podcast. The Positive Sobriety Podcast is recorded at Crossroads for the Nations in Brentwood, Tennessee. Live producer Rex Schnelli, music by Rex Schnelli, theme music by Matt Ulrich, uh, hair and makeup by Lyle Lovett, uh, wardrobe <laughs> by Kathy Gifford. 